He was not eating. <clears throat> Son of a bitch. Five minutes ago, he was not eating. <clears throat> I swear. And his food bowl is no longer next to us. No, it, it doesn't make sense. It's fucking 30 feet in the other direction. <sighs> Happy home from work, though. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the nightmare box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent. I heard her say, huck it, Kristen Pennington. I've been known to say it a time or two. <laughs> and Kristen has the show notes. Oh, damn. I've been known to say it a time or two does not give me a lot to work on. <laughs> <laughs> I sent you a screen capture of my notes earlier today, so... You have no excuses today. We're here to talk about documentaries today. That's what we're going to meander about. And... Yeah, we've been uh, watching quite a bit of them. I mean, we watch them a lot yeah. in general, but specifically lately, we've been watching quite a bit of them. So. Last night, I fell asleep to a Holocaust <laughs> documentary. Not because I was disinterested, strictly because of booze and exhaustion. I slept in the and recliner. We, <laughs> we tried to watch two in a row, and... Mm -hmm. That never seems to work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so since we've been watching so many lately and it's not something that I tend to work on very often, I mm -hmm. thought, yeah, we'd kind of explore what's the difference in documentaries versus yeah. um, scripted films when it comes to shooting them, writing them, uh, examining them. So we're going to attempt to make a... a a deep dive into them where we don't sound like idiots. Well, that's, <laughs> what are we on? Like episode 58, we've yet to not sound like idiots. <laughs> I think this one's 59. 59, 10 away from 69. <laughs> are we going to do a special one for that episode? They have to. Maybe we'll just like watch like a really graphic porn video yeah. and do a review. Yeah, that is not going to happen <laughs> at all. <laughs> Vetoing that one yeah. live on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> There's got to be a horror movie that involves the 69. I'll do my research. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just, I guess, a general question. What do you think makes, like, whenever you're watching a documentary, what to you makes a compelling documentary? Uh, a, a real story with a shitload of twists. I don't like one... Well, I can't really say that because I guess I do all the time watch stuff where I know the outcome. Um, but I like those like stranger than fiction, you know, documentaries. I, I watch a lot of uh, history ones and I force you at gunpoint to watch them with me um, and a shitload of true crime documentaries. Um, so a lot of the true crime ones that we watch, I know more or less what happens. We try to watch something on Ted Bundy and I'm like pausing it and I'll be like, you're never going to believe what happens next. And then I tell you X, Y, Z what happens next. I yeah. still enjoy those. But um, for example, like the one that we watched with the uh, pizza delivery guy. Yes. Like, I, uh, fuck, you just told me what that was evil called. Evil Genius? Yes. Yeah. I was like, what was it called? I already um, forgot it. It's, it's a real story. It's a bizarre story. And the characters that are involved from... It, they're stranger than fiction. So I like those kind of documentaries. That actually reminded me, though, when you mentioned Ted Bundy, because I was trying to think of, which it's not a documentary, but I was trying to think of documentaries we had watched that uh, we didn't enjoy, and we did, I can't remember what it's called, um, but we did attempt that Zach, Zach Efron, Ted Bundy. Um, yeah. Live action TV show, whatever it was. Um, and... I guess you could consider that maybe semi a documentary because it's about a real person's mm -hmm. real life, but it was uh, scripted and acted out and stuff like that. And you are kind of picky about your criminal ones. killers. Yeah. <laughs> you did not like Dude, that I'm one. Sorry, mom bought me a helter skelter when I was a fucking child. Okay, I didn't jump on the true crime mm. bandwagon with the rest of these people yeah. where they're like all of a sudden they're all into it. No, you weren't drooling over Zac Efron. No, my mom was like reading me Anne Rule while I was like laying in bed. She's like, and then they covered or cut off the breasts, and it's like, oh Jesus, mom, I'm six. Leave out some. No, what the. Uh, Quick, you know, side note. The, I think a lot of where that comes from is I lived in San Antonio when I was a kid. Um, and 
I can't remember the year. I was probably six, seven, because I want to say it was 97. I was born in 91, so it's, it had to be somewhere in there, but you'd have to look it up uh, to get the exact number. When the Texas 7 breakout happened. Do you, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and one of the guys, his mother or his grandmother, or some family member, lived like two blocks away from where we were living. You know, the big fear in San Antonio at the time was that these guys were coming to San Antonio and they were going to rape and murder everybody. And I was a child. And so like we'd watch the news and then I would just sit and stare out my window all night going, I hope that fucking crazy serial killer doesn't you know, come visit mommy you know, for yeah. her car or something. And I don't, I don't want to dive into that one because we may yeah. still do something with that, but your mom also had that run-in with a potential killer. Yes, there's so. a, uh, a book slash documentary that I want to write on the case. It's a very, very interesting case. And my mom got super close to somebody that we are all convinced killed a woman Mm -hmm. and got away with it. Yeah. And currently works like as a dude who gives tours somewhere in Texas. And that's about all I'm given on that. Because I want to surprise the dude. I just want to show up one day and be like, hey, you remember me? <laughs> I was in the first grade. Let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Brett is a little little picky about his killer stories. No, I don't want people thinking I jumped on the true crime bandwagon. I didn't. I've been here. <laughs> 20 years Born on the here. job. What the fuck have you guys been doing your whole lives? You guys were all shocked by Columbine? No. No. <laughs> Nothing scared me by 9-11. <laughs> it was college shots. Like, the Taliban's coming. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. So you like a documentary that has a lot of surprises? Yeah. I think, um, which I guess is kind of one of my topics, because uh, I wanted to talk about the difference in uh, scripted mm-hmm. shows or films or whatever uh, versus documentary. And I think... Um, that's one of the things that I like in really well done documentaries is they're almost treated like they're films. Mm-hmm. Um, I've noticed we've watched, and I think that was by either the same production company or the same directors or something. I'm not sure. Um, but we watched Wild Wild Country and we're currently watching The Devil Next Door. And um, I've noticed... Which one was Wild Wild Country? Uh, that was the one where the guy from India uh, started a cult in America. Yeah, that was fucking insane. Okay. I think those were credited by like the same producers or something, if I'm remembering right. Um, and I, I noticed on both of those, the way that they're done, like the way they composite the shots mm-hmm. and all that, it's almost like it's a film. Yeah. And um, the interviews bleed into it, so you almost yeah. feel like you're following the actor and then interviewing. Like, yeah, and yeah. and these are, for the most part, still, which they had, like, uh, you know, old footage put in of these people, like, actually, like, living out these events and stuff. But for the most part, when you're seeing these people talking or whatever, it is still just kind of a person sitting in a chair talking at a camera, but, like, very um, purposely structured mm-hmm. layouts, like... Looks and, a lot better than like those cheesy uh, reenactments that used mm-hmm. to be on like the daytime shows that you watch Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Very much like, so. And then Philip shot his wife, and then it's like dramatic. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I noticed in those, like even just the setting that they would have the person they were talking to sitting in was structured specifically for that person and how they wanted you to like feel about that person. Yeah. So it was like, stage to some mm-hmm. degree but um not like an overt cheesy way and a lot of like the b-roll and stuff was shot very cinematically versus mm-hmm. just like oh you know here's some trees outside and here's this person you know doing this thing over here it was like shots that moved and like mm-hmm. flowed with the documentary so i and, like i think here lately i've realized that's the things i've appreciated in documentaries yeah. when it's done from almost a film perspective. It, it keeps you glued to the chair. Like mm-hmm. you're invested in what feel like characters, especially when you're unfamiliar with the story. Like that one, uh, the 7-5, the one about the cops. Do you remember that? The one in New York where they yes. the cops like fell I in with the drug dealers one. and shit. That was a really good one too. Yeah, like it felt that exact same way. But they 
they used, I guess, less, um, what, do you call it found footage or stock footage? Like newsreel and stuff. Yeah, like, I guess maybe yeah. found footage. Of... They used less newsreel of the people in the chairs, but more of the world that surrounded them. So mm-hmm. when they talked about the murders in the 70s or 80s or whenever that was, they would show the bodies dead on the street from the crack epidemic, and you would hear the voiceover on top of it. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much character-driven there as story-driven, just kind of like a weird side-by-side. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, I'm going to uh, posit kind of an unfair question at you because I guess you've never... Kristen's unfair question. <laughs> well, you've never uh, worked on documentaries before, right? So nope. it's, I mean, it's not really a thing. I read people... a lot of books and I watch a lot of yeah. documentaries. Um, and it's not really, in my opinion, uh, a story you write yeah. for your, like, per se. So um, just your opinion, like mm-hmm. what is the difference... In telling a story that's scripted versus telling a documentary. Like, my opinion, um, and to be fair, I haven't really worked on very many documentaries. I had um, an editing class where I had to, like, edit one, and then I did shoot one really short one of my own. So, um, I don't think I've worked on a professional level in any at all, actually. But, um, like, in my opinion documentaries aren't really necessarily stories we tell like mm-hmm. i feel like you kind of have to unravel the story and the story tells itself yeah so like in in your opinion if you were working on a documentary what do you think structurally like would be the difference well i think and I've again i've never worked on one mm-hmm. i just i watch a bunch of them so this is like my theory on kind of you know if i was going to do it this is how i would do it which is you as the documentarian go out and you learn the story and you collect all the footage and knowledge of the story you can and then you do the interviews. I think you kind of do it in reverse where you have all the raw materials and then you compile them almost backwards. I don't know if you would write them so much as you would video edit the clips together. Yeah, That's a very interesting... We should make a mini-documentary about, like, the dude who works at the record store and like see how we do <laughs> like well, a little homework assignment um that would I be fun a... that would be a fun idea <laughs> add it to the whiteboard later there we're gonna go. flesh this out <laughs> trying to come up with challenges for the listeners <laughs> go to a local place in town find a person interview them compile a 15 minute documentary around that interview have them tell you their favorite story about the place that they work in if they've been there for at least 20 years. Um, I'm, I'm putting it on the board. You can put it on the it board. You want to. I'm <laughs> put a it creative genius. I'm drinking beer. <laughs> well, um, okay, so like from my perspective, um, my beginner editing class in college was like stuff we had to shoot and edit ourselves. Yeah. And then, um, oh... It wasn't my final film class. It may have been my first, like, serious film class that I took after you got past, like, the basics, learning shots and composition and stuff like that. Um, We had to shoot, like, four or five different types of things, and one of them was, uh, he labeled it an interview, but um, it ended up kind of panning out like a little mini-documentary, so I kind of shot my own little mini-documentary. But then when I got to my advanced editing class... um, she didn't want us to focus on the actual filming aspect. She wanted it to strictly be, like, focus on the editing. So um, there's a website called... Oh, my God, I've just blanked on it. How did I just blank on it? It literally just left me. Is it Pornhub? No, Damn. it's not Pornhub. It's a stock footage website, though, and it's probably the most popular one out there, and it's just completely <laughs> left me. Um, but anyway, the point is... Um, any average person can go on the site and buy the stock footage if they want to, but mm-hmm. I think they give discounts to universities and bigger yeah. um, places that buy kind of bulk awesome. stock footage. So every semester, the university you know gives the classroom so much money, they go in and buy so much stock footage, and it's all professionally shot, like already out there, existing, yeah. edited things. It's like so, street corner with lights changing, right? What do you mean? Like, by stock footage. Do you mean, like, newsreels, or is it, like, somebody's gone out with a camera and, like, watched a light change? No, it's, um, so we did, gosh, 
probably four or five different ones on that too and like they were different types so we had to do um the one where i put the alan watts uh yeah. lecture on top of the shot that was from, really cool uh, eternal video. sunshine oh. Um, so that was like a thing where it was kind of like our version of found footage. She wanted you to go out and find a sound clip and find random bits of footage and piece them Mm -hmm. together. So that that was one that we did. And then, um, there was a music video where they gave us an actual professionally produced song with actual Mm -hmm. professionally shot clips for the music video, but they were all out of order. It was just all these like, you know, three, four, five minute long takes Mm -hmm. and you had to like cut them down how you wanted them and piece them together. And then we also had a documentary one and then a short film one. Um, That's awesome. So it was like actual footage shot by professionals of like a short film or a music video or whatever. Short film, the dolls. Is it the same class? uh, No, the dolls was for my film class. So that was a class that I, um, this was the class I took with Allie. Um, Allie did just um, editing. Yeah. So, um, she would buy this footage from a stock site and give it to us. And so, um, I literally entirely on my own had to decide how I wanted it cut and put together. And I remember I didn't end up doing this one cause it was so much footage, but there was, um, I think I told you about it too. There was, uh, this documentary about this guy that was like living off the grid mm-hmm. and some remote location and like, Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> no, it was an old man. I think it was in a different country too. I can't remember where he lived. Um, but the documentary, depending on how you cut it, could go a hundred different ways. Like he talked about um, his family and his life and like living off the grid and like all this different stuff. So there were like several topics buried into um, the conversations they had with this guy. And it, like literally, it was just all given to us. It was like cut it however you want it. It has to be at least at least this long or at least this short. Like we had like a mm-hmm. time parameter we had to fit it in, and it was five six hours of footage of this guy just talking and like footage of his home and like yeah. him working his fields because he had like a farm that he ran and all this crazy stuff. Like a hundred percent lived off the grid, and um, and not legally by the <laughs> way. <laughs> It's like he lived on land he didn't own. <laughs> <laughs> Squatting off the grid. Super off the grid. <laughs> but it was a really interesting documentary. And the cool thing about the site that I cannot for the fucking life of me remember. Okay. I'm going to have to. Yeah. I just can't remember what it's called. And it's bugging me because it was neat. Um, I'm going to have to Google it and tell you guys next time. Um was that they would also provide you the finalized product. So we we technically weren't allowed to watch it until after we had finished ours. Yeah. Like, she would let us watch it if we wanted to, but she was like, I wouldn't recommend watching it until after you... it'll taint what you want yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, it'll affect what you shoot. And so um, I ended up originally trying to tackle uh, this guy's story, but it was just, like I said, like six seven hours of footage or something Mm -hmm. crazy and it was in the middle of the school year and i also had an outside job so i ended up switching over to this story about this lady that owned a bakery it was much shorter much less footage so it was a lot easier to edit down it's a hardcore shift i thought (laughs) i thought you stuck to the man in the woods i was like what did you do with all this time consuming i still own the footage so i'm probably gonna go back and try to edit it eventually but so I watched, because I didn't end up doing it, and I was curious, I watched what the actual people who shot the footage and made the documentary mm-hmm. edited it down to, and it had next to nothing of his story in it. <laughs> like, they had taken hours upon hours upon hours of footage they had shot and edited it down to this guy just being like, so I have a farm, I tend to the, I tend to the farm, this is what I do with my day. It's like I drink it. too much. <laughs> To be fair, I, I get why they edited it down because he would just ramble away yeah. and like he was a little hard to understand at times because he had a very thick accent and his ideas would just run all into each other. He just talk, 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 talk. So I get why they edited it down, but it literally had more just B roll of him out working the farm with music playing yeah. over it than it did of him talking. So, like, to me, the concept of like finding the story in the footage that you shoot when it comes to a documentary is so bizarre because they took this wealth of knowledge and cut it down to just like, here's me living <laughs> on my farm. Just down to its Yeah. That reminds me a lot of that thing that we did in um, my writing class when I took all those 
quotes or we took all those quotes because you helped me find a lot of them and like i gave Kristen some books and then i had some books we wrote down random quotes we switched books we wrote down random quotes and then we played cards with our quotes (laughs) (laughs) we we, we created our own little poem put it up on the wall i've got that poem somewhere like 15 different random quotes from different books from like 10 different books Mm -hmm. no it was a lot more than 15 no we compiled it to just like it it was was like 50 when we started playing our card game (laughs) we edited it down to i think it was like 15 quotes or something it's like i see your quote and i feel like this quote lands right there (laughs) and then we took the stack and we um we, we not stapled it, goddamn, taped it to the walls in order, and then like went through and picked cards off the wall. It was it was a blast. We should do that again. That was fun. Yeah, no, I, I told Arroyo how we did it, and he goes, "That is so much more fun than what the initial assignment was supposed to be." We got drunk and just wrote down yeah, quotes. Just got hammered for like three nights in a row and wrote this what I feel is a pretty incredible poem. I think there's a picture of that on your Facebook, right? Yeah, the, and. We've got the index cards around here someplace, or probably in my satchel bag. I can read it right here on the air. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, sorry. Yeah, I think I got, so. I got an excited ramble no. about. So we're in agreement then, like um, that. You collect the materials first, and then mm. you. How would you avoid? And here's my unfair question, because you hit me with an unfair question. Lay it on me. Um. How do you think that you would avoid bias? Or is the bias of the documentarian um, constructive to tell the story? Because, like, stories, tellers tell stories differently. Mm-hmm. But uh, what Michael Moore, for example, uh, he's bias. a very, very <laughs> controversial filmmaker. I have watched quite a few Michael Moore documentaries. Um, Fahrenheit 9 11 uh, has been proven to have been misconstrued where he's cut parts out of context and put them in to tell his Mm -hmm. story um whereas i quite enjoyed bowling for columbine i quite enjoyed sicko even though i'm not a communist Uh, (laughs) just for clarification just you know in case my step-grandfather hears i know (laughs) but um how do you would you avoid bias or do you think the bias of the storyteller is important you know, do you have to stick to one side of whatever you're talking about? Like, you're not hearing the pro-Nazi side to the Nazi documentary that we're watching. Yeah, you know? and, like, I... That's a, that is kind of a tough one to answer. Like, I feel like, personally... Brett's unfair question. <laughs> not having worked on um, very many documentaries and not mm-hmm. honestly being a... a filmmaker with a wealth of experience either um i personally feel like it's in my experience maybe that's just because i'm still kind of new to editing and stuff like that it's very difficult to fully eliminate yeah what was that music what was that i think our neighbor got a new television set (laughs) yeah because they've been blasting or a sound bar or something they've been blasting it lately um we're sitting out on the porch was it over the weekend i think it was on sunday they we're moving some stuff in or moving mm. some stuff out. And I, it was, I could tell it was three different dudes and they were drinking while they were moving stuff. And then <laughs> one of the dudes just goes, don't stick your finger in my ass, bro. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on over there? I'm sorry, continue. And the podcast took a turn right there. <laughs> Whoa, welcome to the gang. That's um, why I don't know what our new neighbors look like, but somebody's sticking fingers in somebody else's butt. <laughs> recover from that um <laughs> don't take it out of context <laughs> put it in your own little fucking documentary <laughs> um i personally feel like it's really difficult to fully eliminate bias from any work yeah. um because even in just the mood you're trying to convey like i well, there's a reason why you're making it yeah and, yeah. and you can be sincere with the information that you're presenting and you can tell the literal truth that's being presented to you and not try to force the audience to agree with one side or the other but you can manipulate the mood of the audience Mm -hmm. regardless of manipulating the information like i know i think it was in the documentary that i did of the lady that had the donut shop um there was like 
bits that she was talking about that were kind of like long-winded informative pieces that I was like the average person isn't going to care about so I cut that out and then I think there was like a couple of parts where she seemed if I'm remembering right a little doubtful of herself so Mm -hmm. I cut those parts out and like it had just an overall much more uplifting feel to it after I had cut out the stuff and it was still true to like but you could make was. the opposite feeling yeah. using the same footage. For sure, you could you could take something and make it seem sadder than it is, or you know more heavy hearted than it is, or more serious or whatever. So I, I don't. Or think... how they? I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. No, you're I'm fine. trying to expand upon these things as <laughs> no, you're running you through. Uh, or in like the one that we're watching now, before I fell asleep. <laughs> um, how they managed to raise doubt as to whether or not he is indeed Ivan the Terrible uh, early. So Mm -hmm. they present you with the horrific crimes of Ivan the Terrible. They present you with the man. They make you believe it's the same guy. And then they throw doubt in there for like a whole episode. And that I'm actually okay with. Mm -hmm. If um, Well, it's the basis of making a murderer, for example. Yeah. It lasted a whole season. They made a second one. There are two seasons of it. How many people did that fucking guy kill? <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i thinking of the right one. I'm pretty sure there are two seasons of that. But um, that I'm okay with because that was actually a topic I wanted to talk to you about since you're a writer. Ooh, we are racquetballing <laughs> this shit around. <laughs> Impromptu style. Because <laughs> um, I feel like when you do that, it's, again, like, shot-wise, you can emulate a film style. Yeah. With a documentary, and when people do that, I feel like it's trying to carry through an arc of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like manipulating people's like doubt about where the story's going is kind mm-hmm. of almost like writing a scripted film. Like we have like the character we're presented, and then the issue, and then we kind of travel through the journey with the character. So, to me, I guess that's kind of the equivalent of trying to create a story arc like what are your thoughts i don't know how to do it without completely ruining the one we're watching now for anybody listening to this or we're only a couple of episodes in we don't even know how it ends yeah but like a hmm hit me with the question one more time like you you said that you could create a bias by creating doubt yes. like the one that we're watching the devil mm-hmm. next door um, is about Ivan the Terrible, and they've taken this guy from... He's an immigrant to America, and they've mm-hmm. taken this guy and extradited him back. Yeah. And, like, the first episode, they make you feel like he's definitely guilty. And the second episode, they kind of swing it back, like, oh, no, is he? Mm-hmm. So, um, like, to me, that's not necessarily implementing a bias. That's trying to um, carry out a story arc. Yeah. So... I don't know. Are like, you asking me how important is, how interesting no, the documentary I mean, is? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, because, like, I mean, I feel like, do you agree, is that, like, the closest you can really come to structuring Creating that for... doubt, like, in a true crime one, for sure, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not a scripted story, mm-hmm. so you can't literally do the, like... Well, you, well you're, my argument would be that you are creating the script after you've got the material, and then True. you're trying to chop the material down True. to create the story. But you're still telling a story, right? Mm-hmm. If I tell you a story where I'm like, hey, Kristen, you're never going to believe what happened to me at the bar the other night, and then I just go, so I went to the bar the other night, and then I left... <laughs> There's no reason for me to tell you that story. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you, hey, I went to the bar the other night and I had a couple of drinks and I was feeling down about myself and uh, then this fight broke out and I made myself out to be a big-ass hero or I banged some, like, pool cue over some dude's head, stood victorious over his lifeless body, and then I went home. (laughs) You'd be like, tell me that story in detail. Because that story (laughs) sounds like it has an arc. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I feel like manipulating... I did not beat anybody up at the bar the other night. I've not been to the bar with anybody but Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) And I do not let him beat up people. (laughs) I threaten it constantly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like manipulating the story to that extent is just trying to create suspense. Like, my problem Mm. with bias is... When you manipulate the facts of the story. Well, I have a problem with bias. Yeah. I have a problem with the way that Michael Moore did Fahrenheit 9-11. I haven't seen Fahrenheit 9-11. Well, it, the problem with it is he's got all these people like 
on record talking extreme horseshit, you know, conflating their own shit or downgrading their own shit. Um, it's a problem Michael Moore's had throughout his career is he leans way too heavy on like that shock jock documentarian mm-hmm. to the point where you don't get the actual details of the case. Whereas like when we watched the Oliver Stone documentaries, the uh, untold history, or that 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Really yeah, good. the one that I made a You haven't seen like, the yeah. decade. It's literally just called the 80s, the 90s, whatever. Those are super good. They're fucking incredible. Um, those are just the details. You know, the, the, just the facts. Holy fuck, I can't believe that happened. <laughs> I think the closer you get to something, the more the bias shows. Like you can show a collective movement. Like, you can watch countless documentaries about the Nazis or the aliens, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I guess where I draw the line is, like, I don't think you can wholly cut out personal bias, honestly. Like, I'm not going to shoot... Well, even country to country, yeah. At some level, you're biased to yeah. something. Like, I'm not going to shoot... A documentary probably period about something that I, I hate or I disagree mm-hmm. with so I'm probably not doing that type of work to begin with and then again you can manipulate the suspense the mood or whatever I think where I draw the line is if in a hypothetical world you said the sentence out loud if he hurt my family I'd kill him yeah and all I put in my documentary was I'd kill him mm-hmm. it conveys a completely different message about the type of person you are you know, yeah. you go from like the defender to the aggressor. So I think Immediately. it's one. Yeah, I think it's whenever you purposely manipulate the facts of the story mm-hmm. to make people see what you want them to see is where I like. I think to that extent, bias is untruthful storytelling in a documentary. Yeah, and it, it should be defamation lawsuits fucking left and right (laughs) because you can like even in our podcast i've cut out chunks of things we've said and edited it seamlessly together where you Mm -hmm. can't tell that those things ever got said avoid defamation lawsuits (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've I've not ever done it to try to reframe some nasty words about my third grade teacher I've, I've cut out weird panic attacks and uh weird things we probably shouldn't have said it's not been to reframe like what we're talking about so like but you can completely manipulate how people perceive things Mm -hmm. by just removing shit or adding shit in a different place from where it really happened so to that extent i think bias is not a good thing i think bias is always a trouble like no matter what it is um, but a certain level of it is necessary to tell the story because like, the documentarian is the one telling the story. So. I don't know that I would agree that it's necessary. I just think it's unavoidable. Like we as people have opinions and thoughts of our own and I don't think any person telling a to... story can really completely eliminate themselves. Yeah, well, you have to hook the viewer as well. You know, you can't. You read Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, which is like the most celebrated, quote-unquote, like first modern true crime novel. Um, There is a bias on the side of Capote. There is a bias against certain characters for certain characters. It has its twists, its turns, its spins. Um, But at the end of the day, the people Capote calls the murderers are the murderers, and the suspects were all shown, you know? Yeah. I actually haven't. I'm not familiar with that one. Sorry. I was was trying to answer it as a writer, and I was like, maybe she's read Truman Capote, and I was like, she's not. But it's over there, we'll... I'm putting Kristen on a book reading regimen for that's our 2020 goal. I'm gonna have 20 books she's got to read in 2020. All of my books are just dumb <laughs> books. I used to read so much and it just died. You'd love Capote. Breakfast <laughs> at Tiffany's. Actually, I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's either. He wrote the book. Well, I know, but I'm saying I it's a, no for cinema though. It's a very famous film, and I haven't seen that either. Um, I'd like to make a documentary about Truman Capote. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're getting at. That's what I'm doing. Scrapping the record, Scra- scrapping dude. Scrapping the, scrapping the record, dude. Going straight to Capote. <laughs> go big or go home. I'm gonna walk right up to his grave. And be like, hey there, sir. You want to make a Shakespeare documentary? <laughs> so how from 
this is again, I guess, kind of an unfair question, but how? Kristen, unfair <laughs> question. How do you think that you you make characters in a documentary compelling? Well, I think the characters in the documentary have to be compelling, or you wouldn't be making the documentary. Yeah, true. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> <laughs> or else it's just, this is my documentary about Brett going to the bar and then nothing happens to the bar. Do you want to hear about the day in the life of Brett and Kristen? Yeah, that would be a fun turn on the documentary. Like if you were like making it out like something big was going to happen and then nothing big ever fucking happened for like oh, an hour my goodness. and a half. Oh, <laughs> uh, I can't You're like, remember. And then he went to the gas station. And then like, you have this really ominous conversation. Yeah. Then he went to Kroger to buy bread. <laughs> Of, I've got to interject. And I, I thought it was a clever idea. I'm not dissing it by any means. Don't so. diss on my ideas. No, not your ideas. Um, so if for whatever tiny fraction of a chance you're out there in the world listening right now, I'm not dissing you. I did think it was a clever idea. But we submitted the dolls to a, a podcast mm-hmm. that reviewed the dolls and like kind of critiqued it. And um, they it was like a regular thing on their podcast where they would do... Um, I forget what they called it, but I think it was like short film roundup or something like that. So they would put you in with two other films and uh, every so often they would discuss three films at a time. And I personally feel like in their review, ours got the most praise, but there was a film. We were the only one where they said, send it back to us once you fixed it. (laughs) So we did very well. They (laughs) said it was a a really well done film, but then they kind of picked apart the Mm -hmm. things that we definitely should have worked more at. But anyway, there was another film in that roundup with us that was kind of shot in a documentary style. (laughs) And it was literally just kind of an average day in the life of this guy. But the premise of the film was he was the only man in the world or one of the few men in the world that didn't have a dick. What? I I thought I told you about this. It was a long time ago, though, so maybe you don't remember it. (laughs) I have a drinking problem. (laughs) Half the time you were talking to me back when we first started dating, I was hammered. We have to, like, give that one. So but, where's Brett? He's peeling himself off the floor so we can make chicken parmesan. <laughs> you know? I, I, don't, I don't want to give away the ending if you somehow stumble across the short film um, or the the podcast because it's on yeah. YouTube as well. Um, if you Google the dolls, it'll probably come up somewhere in the search because they discussed yeah. our film and two other films. Definitely go check those people out. <laughs> but it, if you stumble across it, I don't want to give away the ending, but it, yeah, it was kind of shot like this just average day in the life of this dude living in a world and he was the only one who didn't have a dick. And it was almost like... <laughs> like the, the only same. person in the world? Well, I, I don't think he was literally the only, but one of the few. But they treated it the way they shot it, which was kind of interesting. Like it was... Um, like a gender or racial or whatever bias, you know? So it was like, he was a dude that people made fun of and picked on and people wouldn't hire him for jobs because he didn't have a dick. So way to go, dickless Dave. <laughs> oh my God. That is a hilarious premise. Yeah. Like, and, and they, they, I think they critiqued it because they said it, like, it was a lot of shots of him just kind of walking around, just Going eating. to the grocery store. Yeah, it was just like weird yeah. shots of him just sitting glum, eating by himself. So... They could have, I guess, done... The ultimate turn of events, <laughs> Dickless Dave goes gay. And so in final scene, you see him stop, look at a jar of lube in a grocery store, and then slowly knock no, that I into like the I cart, wanna... and there's a cucumber next to it. I He's feel like I want to spoil himself it. With a cucumber. Do, should I spoil it? Or Did not? I hit it over the head? Because no. if not, they should have never made the movie about no. Dickless Dave. No. So it just gave you the whole ending that would have been fantastic. No. No, I won't spoil it for you. Go look for it. I'll spoil it. Go for look Brett for the Nicholas Dave movie. <laughs> yeah, it was speaking of just documentaries about random lives. It was just a this poor dude living his life, being sad. It was like a graffiti on the street, which I would love to know if they actually just went out and fucking graffitied a random street. There was like graffiti on the street about making fun of people with no dicks. <laughs> it was actually kind of a funny Is documentary. Is it a feminist documentary? Did they end it on the no, note it's where a comedy. it's like you can't get all the right works if you're not a woman? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a comedy. Um, there, it doesn't feel like it. But there the are end. two great ways to take that story that they failed to hit. So, like, fuck them. We were definitely better. <laughs> I don't know why that made me think <laughs> of that. Should have been that. in the writing room. And I'm like, you should turn it into a thing about women not being able to have the same opportunities. While everybody else thinks it's about race, it's actually about the struggle of white women. You know, he tries to date a girl on the internet and tells her he doesn't have a dick and she stops talking to him. <laughs> the wind would be like, that's fine, I've puttied up my vagina. 
hoodied up is hilarious oh, and deserved. Why are you a lot trying to make this uncomfortable? I'm not. I'm trying to give you alternate endings to the Dickless Dave documentary. Uh, <laughs> the DVD, dog. He's trying to make me the diggity 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 documentary. <laughs> Hitting right. jokes. He didn't have a dick. There's nothing for you to blush about. <laughs> I'll put my beer and shut up. Um. Anyway, off, off of Dickless Dave's. <laughs> Dickless um, Dave! So... Gonna I'm gonna beat you. She's threatening violence. I'm gonna break this bottle and chop your dick off. Oh, Not really. Just said fuck it. Not Maybe really. Huck it. Don't cut... <laughs> don't take this out of context. People. Doesn't laugh at my jokes no more. I did laugh. Oh. Shut up and sit down. <laughs> Dominatrix Kristen Pennington. Laying down the law. Oh my god. <laughs> she just slapped the dog again. I did not. In serial animal abuser <laughs> Kristen. Up. Take all of it out of context. <laughs> Homework assignment. Chop this thing into shit and send it to your local news station. <laughs> that is actually kind of a funny homework assignment. Fight the podcast <laughs> <into> <laughs> <segments>. Project Mayhem. <laughs> mm. No, so uh, moving off of that weird topic. Uh, Sorry, the beer started to set in. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm a little buzzy too. Been writing for Skipping days. Hard time. Yeah, about horrific things. Yeah. So <laughs> the creative juices are flowing in a hyper negative direction. <laughs> Chopped a man's face off today. That's all I'm going to say. Not in real life. In story mode. <laughs> Take in, that out of context. In homage to the Devil's Rejects. Oh, they did. That's mm-hmm. right. That was... Which one was that in? It was Otis's whole thing. He, both of them. They did it more than once? I think they did it in all three, now that I think about hmm. it. It's kind of Otis's thing. He wears the uh, boyfriend's face when he... Or he puts the boyfriend's face on the... Um, the maid in Devil's Rejects, and then she That's runs right. out and gets hit by a van. And then in the first one, he, he wears, wears the, the boyfriend's, the, the yeah, the dad's face yeah. down to the dinner. I don't think he does it in the third one, though. He's he's much more, I just want to go home in the third one. Well, in the script, you guys are not going to read for a very, very, very long time. I paid homage by slicing somebody's face off. <laughs> Speaking of uh, weird <laughs> and interesting shots <laughs> or things... <laughs> Um, that was another thing I wanted to talk about for documentaries. Um, I feel like they're traditional documentary that's not shot, you know, like the ones we've been watching that are a little more cinematic are, you know, just the person in the chair Mm -hmm. in their space talking at the camera and then like you'll kind of cut away to B-roll or reenactments or whatever. And, um, like I've noticed with the ones that we've been watching... It feels a bit less like we're watching a documentary and almost like watching a film, like a story mm-hmm. unfold. And I feel like part of what makes those effectives, effectives, <laughs> <laughs> part of what makes those effective. Sorry, I'm a little buzzy. Um, you is said the, it again. No, I said effective. No, you did. Yes, I did. You added an S to the end of it. I did like, not. I'm sorry. Let me repeat the word and continue moving forward. I was like, effects? Effective? effective. Which word are we leaning on here, love? Effective. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is that they're not so formulaic. Like, um... How'd you land formulaic and you couldn't hit effective? Like they I'm shoot them in. Pants. Shut up! I'm trying to have a conversation. Why do you keep interrupting me? <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. It's you and it makes me tickle. You're mean. <laughs> Is that they're not shot in such a formulaic way. Like they um, show them in various rooms doing various activities, which that one kind of took me out a little bit. There was a scene in, um, shut up. Seriously. Stop looking at me like you that. You said tip me out. You, I did not. You've fallen all over the world. Go it again. Oh, it took me out. <laughs> You're being mean. I'm cutting all of this. Which one you. took you out? We were watching, uh, the devil next door last there night and there was like a weird <laughs> shot where they were showing one of the guys that, um, had mm. been throughout you know, several scenes of the documentary it was like a key player in what yeah. was going on. 
And they showed him making his morning coffee. And I was like, what are we watching? A Folgers commercial? Like, what's going on? Like, they showed, like, an overhead of, like, cream being added yeah. or something. I was like, this is They walked around in his house and he's like, we got all these cool paintings. And none of the paintings had fuck all to do with what was going on. He's yeah. like, i got 176 paintings in two rooms. So there, there are some parts yeah. like that where it's a little weird. And I was like, I don't... So what is this? What are we to doing? Do with the story. Yeah, but then for the most part, like when you do that, you kind of show different angles of the person talking, or like the Tyson one that we did, where they kind of like layered him talking on top of each yeah. other. It was a little off-putting to me at times, but it made it made it feel more like a movie and less like a documentary. Where mm-hmm. It was just like here's this one still shot of me talking to the camera. Yeah, you don't want that. And with Tyson, you don't have enough fight footage to <laughs> go through an hour and a half of documentary because the dude was only in the ring for like 20 minutes in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and they had like various shots of him in his home or yeah. him in a studio or him on the beach. So like when you what I liked about that one was watching your reaction because I've seen all the old Tyson fights and I remember I was just like I'm gonna look over here and sip a beer and then they'd show like four of his knockouts back to back and you just kept going holy fuck holy fuck god damn it (laughs) he's so fast and i was like she gets it so yeah like when you when you add um and even in the double next door there was like a shot where they showed like a book or a script or something that had like a, a witness's statement and um they like pan down the script to the sentence they wanted you to see. So like active movements with mm-hmm. the camera and varying shots and stuff like you would see in a film versus just the standard, here's me talking to the camera yeah. and here's some B-roll or some um, live reenactment or whatever, you know. So kind of breaking up that formula that mm-hmm. I feel like to me helps make it more interesting. For sure. You going to be serious now? Quit giving me a hard time. Yeah. It was just making fun of you because it was know, making you teasing. laugh. And then when you stopped laughing, I was like, I'll just settle back into myself and listen. Oh, you can talk. I'll learn about the art of filmmaking with everybody else. <laughs> Do you have favorite documentaries? Um, any that stand out in particular? Shitload. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you what they are right now. No, <laughs> I really I thought like... all day. I was like, you've spent decades watching fucking documentaries, <laughs> like three a week. How do you not? <laughs> um, the one that I know right off the top of my head, that's probably the most scarring was about the rape of Nanking, but I can't, um, remember for the life. It might just be Nanking. Like I can't remember, but are you familiar with that no, one at all? No, no, no. It's about the uh, Japanese invasion of China, where they went into Nanking, and it was maybe the most fucked up war crime I've ever, like, series of war crime, months of war crime, just fucking, it was horrific. But the Japanese got away with sin because Hitler was a bastard, but... Um, the Japanese were not very kind people. Uh, they had to get nuked into peace, and God bless the Japanese. I love the Japanese, but your grandparents were assholes. Um, these guys, like at one point, they're talking about two generals who had a beheading competition, and the competition was kept up with in the local newspapers. Like these guys would run through town and be like, oh, he's got 73 beheadings? Oh, fuck you, I've got 74 beheadings. And they were in active competition with their soldiers to kill as many civilians as possible and impregnate as many women. And they would like beat the babies and like kill the kids in front of, it was, it was fucked. And it was like three hours long. And I remember I was just sitting on the couch and I ordered a pizza going, I'm going to eat a pizza and watch this World War II documentary. And I'd never heard of the rape of Nanking. Nobody had ever introduced me to the subject. So I walked in like bare bones to the rape of Nanking and I ate like half a pizza and then I drank like 35 beers. (laughs) And I was just sitting there staring at it just... Shutting it off every five minutes to go pace outside and smoke a cigarette. And I was like, holy mother of God, they did that to who? And then I'd go back in and turn it on and like throw up my piece of pizza and eat another piece of pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Smoke a cigarette, crack another beer. Ah, fuck. (laughs) So that one, the one about Nanking, I don't know if it's on Netflix anymore and I never want to see it again. It was... 
found not found footage whatever we called it stock footage mm -hmm. um from the pacific and world war Two and like film of just the bodies and shit that one fucked me up for a good long while but i really like the uh oliver stone untold history that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. because it was a different approach um, instead of just telling you about, for example, like Iran-Contra, like it shows you like the 20 years that led up to Iran-Contra. So you get the perspective behind the scenes and you're already familiar with the main story. So like in your head, if you're into that type of stuff, um, you know what's happening actively in the world. I would suggest watching the Decade series before you go watch that one so you know kind of what's happening on the big play and then go watch the untold history because you can remember what was actually happening for example in like 1969 because you watched the decade and then you get to see what was happening under the surface in 1969 that led to this event in 1984 or you know whatever yeah. after the Check out more of the untold histories. I'm not as familiar with those as it's you It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, and I'm not trying to be like cliche or jump on the bandwagon or whatever. Um, the one that kind of stuck with me uh, on a personal level, like changed my perspective quite a bit was, I wish I've seen a lot of really great documentaries. There have been mm -hmm. uh, a lot like the, the decade ones that we've watched and the ones about um the wars and stuff like realizing yeah. like we're not really the heroes and stuff have been it, it always breaks your heart <laughs> a little bit but it's it, it humbles us <laughs> yeah i've been definitely humbling but um i watched blackfish uh pretty much shortly after yeah. it was released i haven't on... seen that one yeah like right after it was released on netflix and i'll be honest like there was a lot of hype around it so i was like ah, mm -hmm. oh, i'm at home i'm bored i have nothing to do whatever i'll watch it and um it's the documentary about the the treatment of the orcas at SeaWorld. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely say that that documentary is probably a biased documentary, but not without merit, for yeah. sure. It's an, it's very anti-SeaWorld. But um, it is true that those animals were being treated very poorly. And, um, you know, there were consequences course, yeah. to those actions. And on a personal level, yeah. Um, on a personal level for me, I guess it changed my perspective because I had never really thought too much beyond like, this is a cool experience. This isn't a thing that I get to see, yeah. you know, regularly. So it's, it's neat to be exposed to these different elements of the world that aren't readily available. So I've never been to SeaWorld or any place like that. Like there was an never aquarium. been to SeaWorld? Mm-mm. There was an aquarium in Chattanooga, Tennessee that I had been to several times. And, like, they don't have orcas or anything like that. But they do have sharks and larger fish. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of exhibits and stuff that you can see Lived at the aquarium. I've been to Florida as a kid. Definitely <laughs> been to SeaWorld. No, I've never multiple been to SeaWorld. Times. Um, but as I've, a child, I thought it was fascinating. Looking back on it as an adult, I'm like, it is fucking horrific. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I've been to... The zoo in Nashville, a whole bunch, like especially mm -hmm. when my niece was younger, like we went to the zoo very regularly. And um, like it was really cool to see these exotic animals mm -hmm. up close and in person and learn about them and, and I guess kind of form an appreciation for them. So I'm not completely anti places like that because it is really neat. You know, you, you learn to love and appreciate these exotic animals that we don't have in our regular environments because we don't, mm -hmm. you know, live out in the jungle or wherever, you know, these animals are from. My one view of the Nashville Zoo was that the panthers were all somewhere else when I went there. The last <laughs> time I went there, like in my mid-20s, and I was like, all the panthers are gone? Why did I come here? I just came to see the big cats, and all the big cats are asleep. <laughs> but, but after watching... Um, Blackfish, like, it, it did kind of change my perspective. Like, 
yeah, you would go to these enclosures and sometimes the the big cats or whatever would have slightly bigger enclosures and you wouldn't necessarily be able to see mm-hmm. them and that would kind of be a disappointment because it's like, oh, it's way over there and that's kind of disappointing. I yeah. wish it was closer. And then having watched Blackfish, I realized like these other animals that have these smaller enclosures, you know, taking this animal that's used to this vast environment, um, not necessarily that particular animal, but like evolution wise, like Mm -hmm. that type of animal is used to being able to run free in the jungle or in the forest or in the ocean or whatever. And we've trapped it in this tiny space. And when they're put up at night or whatever, they're in these small cages and like realizing that we've taken these very, exotic beautiful animals and turn them into entertainment for Mm -hmm. ourselves that's the part that sickens me they're not reservations yeah Yeah. and like and that's kind of what blackfish did for me i was like i'm pro because i know there are animals that are on the endangered list and you know we do legitimately have um like conservation areas for animals where we're trying to study them Mm -hmm. and learn from them and regrow their population and for that like there are protected areas for specific animals and i'm totally fine with that but I, and I, I get to some extent zoos and places like that pique people's interest so then they go on to take on these kind of careers so to some extent they're slightly necessary but i after watching blackfish had a very hard time reconciling the way we treat these exotic animals that deserve more space to roam so i guess for me that one was more impactful than I would have thought it would have been because it wasn't just like, oh, free the orcas, you know, which for sure are free the orcas because there's no justifying, you know, going and stealing these babies from their tribes and trapping them. Let them them populate and, you know, I don't know, drop me in the water with a goddamn (laughs) scuba suit from a helicopter and I'll go look at them. (laughs) But it, it had repercussions for me that i didn't expect i don't think i've been back to the zoo since i watched it like i I have a hard time justifying in my mind giving them money yeah Um, like keeping even you know jacks we've moved into a smaller apartment and i feel slightly guilty don't make me into the orca killer because i got a dog making you into an orca killer i feel slightly guilty shut up no jacks lives a very cushy life he's a domestic dog i'm just saying i feel slightly guilty that we've taken a space that he's used to having larger and made it slightly smaller, yeah. which we're talking about upgrading to a bigger place whenever our lease runs out. But, like, I internally feel guilty about that. So, like, I can't imagine... Like, our apartment's massive for a dog. Like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine taking, you know, this giant tiger and condensing it into a space the size of our living room. Like, that's yeah. madness to me that we've commercially accepted that as an okay thing to do. So, yeah, for me... Blackfish was a pretty impactful documentary because it For wasn't sure. it wasn't just the orcas. It was like every animal we've ever done this to, though. No, it, it, it's sick. It's disgusting. And the impact of the documentary is that it moved you to change your behavior, which means that it got its point across. True. So they do have as much impact in society, if not more, as films, but... Yeah, I... Which do you think has the more emotional impact? Fiction or non-fiction? I it's think... it's the constant debate. People who read a lot of books. Is do you read a lot of fiction or do you read a lot of facts? Fact people don't take fiction people seriously. Most fiction people don't read enough facts. Um... I'm reading Kaczynski. I'm like right down the line. <laughs> I read a couple of facts. I go brainwash that with some novels. I think on a personal level for me, the really well done things that have been nonfiction have probably pulled a bit harder at the heartstrings because it's like that's a real thing that really Mm -hmm. happened and there were real people affected by that. Um, So for me, on a personal level, the things that make me feel the worst or the best or, you know, like we're... Like 9-11, for instance, like watching documentaries about that. It feel so good. No, it doesn't make me feel good. It's like that weird, like, (laughs) we're in this together because it happens. You can't just step on it because then it makes me sound like I'm rooting for terrorists. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're frustrated with me. (laughs) (laughs) Breathe. Give me my 9-11 joke. Never mind. 
Right. No, like it, like those kinds of things kind of give you that weird sense of like we're a community or that sucked or I feel bad or I'm sad or I'm happy mm-hmm. or whatever. And then fiction can still have that same effect. Like yeah. it can still make you feel all the same things. On a metaphorical and, level. Yeah. yeah and it, it's, in my opinion, typically more entertaining because it's a little more embellished. So I enjoy fiction more, but the really well done nonfiction has been the things that's like gotten to me more, I guess. How about you? I would agree. I think that they, they both have their place. Um, there's things that you can learn from a fictional story that they're almost more personal. Um, and then there's things you can learn from a documentary which are more societal. So you want to change your society based off of a documentary you've watched unless you read a lot of like dystopian or utopian fiction. Um, it's mainly going to be from your nonfiction books is what caused societal changes. But if you read like Catcher in the Rye when you're 15, you're going to have that impact that changes you as a person. You know, you read Pet Cemetery as a parent, you're going to have a different view on, sure. on that whole situation. So I think it depends on what you're trying to fix. If you've got like a societal type of issue, your documentary is how you grab the attention of a large amount of people, focus it on, on a specific problem, as opposed to reading a, um, a fiction book and, and pulling the personal character flaws out of yourself, investing them in the character. And then learning from that character and how they deal with those character flaws. That is an interesting thought, though. Like how the stage of your life that you're in kind of affects your viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is kind of a cheesy comparison to uh, probably more prolific works, but uh, I can't think of what it's called. That Justin Timberlake movie where they like. Were... Justin Timberlake acts yeah. in movies? No, you know what I'm talking about because we've talked about it before where they. Um, had one hour of life and it was ingrained in their skin. Yeah, I forgot the title, but yeah, yeah I know that one. If, if you I forgot that was Justin Timberlake. Yeah, if you look it up, you're going to know what I'm talking about. But yeah, Justin Timberlake starred in it and it was a movie where instead of money, the currency mm-hmm. was hours of your life and everybody at birth started out with one single hour that they were granted and, um, or one single day maybe. I can't remember exactly what I think it, was. it was. like, yeah, 48 hours yeah. or some shit. Like um, that. And you weren't allowed to access it until you were an adult, but then... You could buy it and sell it. Yeah, you could buy it and sell it, and it was your currency, and so a lot of people would have children just to use the currency of ours, and, like, I watched that when it came out, which I was an adult when it came out, and for me as an adult, it wasn't just like, this is a cool, like, action flick or whatever. For me, it was like, oh, God, we're trading hours of our lives Mm -hmm. to you know, survive in this world, and that's literally kind of what's actually happening. Like, I'm buying my life with hours that I have available. Go to work for eight hours a day so you can enjoy one hour at night. Yeah, and I mean, that for me, like, watching it was kind of like, oh, shit, Mm -hmm. like, that's actually kind of accurate. (laughs) I mean, you don't have children to fix that. There's a lot of beauty in metaphors, and I won't go into, like, a religious uh, (laughs) situation, but I'm just saying, you know. You can bend people societally with a well-placed biography or... um, Nonfiction piece, and then you can really reach into an individual's heart with fiction mm-hmm. in a way that you can't do with the documentary. Mm-hmm. Because we're not all going to relate to one real other person, but a fictionalized person can have traits that reflect a whole bunch of ours. Yeah, especially when it comes to metaphors and stuff like that, because they're a little more broad mm-hmm. at times and it can hit you in different ways. Yeah. So. Yeah, sorry, that was a weird aside, but I was like, for some reason it made me think of that movie, and I was like, yeah, that one kind of was like, I'm trading hours of my life, too. that's a beautiful (laughs) example. Um, Do you have anything else, or Mm -mm. are we good? I am out. Ready to go eat some hamburgers and watch something? I don't don't know. Maybe some more of the documentary you fell asleep watching. Some more of the documentary, you can catch me up on what I missed. Or Peaky Blinders. I'm guessing that those six million Jews still died, so... You're the worst. When you make me laugh at the Jews dying instead of the joke, it makes me sound bad. People will take it out of context. Uh, You try to make me uncomfortable is what happens. I'm trying to bury myself so far I can never have a career. 
I think it's working oh, so far. Jesus. Uh, if any of you guys want to go through the multiple um, homework assignments so I'm giving you this week, <laughs> you can uh, send them over to the email at nightmareboxproductions at gmail. Or you can send them to the uh, messenger through Facebook at facebook.com slash nightmareboxproductions. There we go. Um, if you've got a favorite documentary, take a picture of the opening credit and send it to us at uh, Instagram at Nightmare Productions. <laughs> or you go over there to the Twitter and you can give us a 140 character summary or 280 or wherever the fuck they are at. At Nightmare Box Pro. Um, but most importantly, I want you guys to swing on over to the website. The Nightmarebox.blog. And click on the link in the top right hand corner. You can go watch Kristen's film, The Dolls, that I uh, wrote. And then you can scroll all the way down to the bottom right. You can find the Madman Diaries. You sent me $10. I'll send you that book anywhere you are in the world. Um, don't care about the shipping. Just literally send me $10. I'll pay to get it to you. Um, but if you don't want to do that because you don't love and support us, you can swing on over and support us in a different way by going to YouTube slash Kristen Pennington and watching the dolls and all of Kristen's other work there. Um, you got anything else? Did I miss anything? Um, we do also, which we've brought that up a couple of times, um, have a secondary podcast. Brett oh, yeah. and I are uh, not on it, but um, it is under the umbrella of our production company. So you're, if you're into... Uh, Wargaming? Yeah, Wargaming, 4K, Bellagarth. Bellagarth. Um, the podcast is called The Art of Wargaming. So if you want to check out uh, Yaga or Oni, mm-hmm. uh, and send them a message, I believe their email is artofwargamingpodcast at gmail. Um, definitely rate, review, share on both ends. Mm-hmm. And um, we appreciate all your support. Love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week.